This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. We're going to keep it simple. We know there's a lot of Modern Horizon stuff coming out. We're not going to touch it. Nope. We're going to let you guys figure that out. We'll cover it in next week's episode. Oh, yeah. Anyways, what we are covering today is the newly announced format, which, in my opinion, looks like it's designed for casuals, called Oathbreaker. Yes. Uh, so what that means financially, stuff to look out on. It's actually really exciting, similar to when middle school was announced. This is a big opportunity for people to get in on MTG Finance. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after we do that, uh, we're going to head out with picks. And I actually have a little bit I wanted to touch on about a little Twitter tiff over the weekend involving MTG Finance and what it means. So Absolutely. without further ado, take it away. Hey, so uh, Oathbreaker is a format that was announced uh, actually a couple months ago, if you've been paying attention to, I guess, uh, the various Magic subreddits. Uh, the newest banning was april 4th so people are paying attention to this format and basically what it is is another version of edh it is a highlander style format where you have your commander but it has to be a planeswalker but you also get an oathbreaker spell so you get to choose an instant or sorcery that all that accompanies your commander and together they make up the color identity of your deck it only comes from the commander i'm sorry the, the spell yeah. has to be within those colors Whenever you cast your commander, same rules uh, for each time it accrues the 2 CMC uh, penalty, as does the incident sorcery. But each time you cast that incident sorcery, it does not go to your graveyard, it just goes back to the command zone. So you can do some wonky things with, uh, with this. And we're seeing a lot of cool and interesting decks just kind of all over, because right now this format is still, like I said, young. There are some people that look at it as quote-unquote solved, but we're not sure why certain things are or aren't played. And uh, if you head over to the the Oathbreaker site, and I'll pull this up real quick if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it's uh, weirdcards.org slash Oathbreaker, and if I remember, I'll put this up in the show notes. And uh, I recommend watching the video that's out here on the, the main page. It It's a little hard to hear just because the volume's kind of quiet, but they basically explain how this is uh, a very casual format. Like, you're supposed to have a conversation before you sit down about what you're playing in your 60-card Highlander deck. You start at 20 life, 60 cards, unlike EDH, more, and it makes it feel kind of like CEDH for people who play competitive uh, 1v1, but this is a multiplayer format, so you just you know, kind of get to do what you want. It takes care of the rule that the EDH rules committee has been dancing around for a while that requires you to have a creature as your uh, commander unless you have a planeswalker that specifically says it can be played as a commander. This format requires yeah. you play that planeswalker. And so it, it, it breaks up the monotony. Uh, the professor did a video about it, I believe, two weeks ago. The Star City Versus uh, crew did a commander video about it two weeks ago, uh, but I don't believe they recognized the format by name. It is, uh, I don't think they did, no. Because I, I wasn't sure why they were doing it. They just called it, uh, it's, you know, they they asterisked the show as their, their rules, they can do what they want, basically. And yeah. uh, I think Loading Ready Run did a video on this, and uh, people are loving this format. They th they think it's just a, a better version of uh, Tiny Leaders, which was a similar Highlander-style format with a smaller deck, but because it's less restrictive in terms of the max CMC you can play, it just becomes th this much more interesting format. 
And because it's not restricted by CMC, the ban list can be a lot different than uh, what is the EDH ban list. They started basically with the standard no anti-cards, no dexterity cards, anything that's uh, banned in vintage. And then they went ahead and did a little shopping and it seems like they took some rules from CEDH and a little bit from Canadian Highlander. And things like uh, Soul Ring are banned and I believe both Monovault and Crypt are banned to just kind of slow yep. the format down and make this accessible and playable and fun. And it's not a format that I've really had the opportunity to dive into. Uh, my EDH play group hasn't met in like four months because they want to move it to Sunday, and I do this podcast usually on a Sunday. So, oh. but for the grace of you guys, I, uh, I'm here and not playing EDH. Yeah. But this does look like a format I would find a little more interesting than Tiny Leaders. Um, and uh, I'd like to actually move into a little bit of, about format discussion. And you asked earlier why people are not playing Earthcraft. Earthbound and- Squirrelcraft. There's squirrel nests. Yep. Uh, it's you know, and this this is I was like, why aren't people doing this? And Rep made a very good point. Well, the format's not nearly solved. There's a lot of opportunity here. So you know, obviously, your mana positive rocks with no drawbacks. So like soul ring, mana crypt, not really a drawback. Mana vault, those are banned. Yep. Not banned. Chrome mox, mopal, mox diamond. Mox Diamond, which just hit an all-time high buy list price of $190 on Card Kingdom, uh, those are there. Yep. You can you can scoop those up. Earthcraft is not banned. Is it still a $30 card? Like, has that card not moved in price in years? I'll check. Earth, Earthcraft is like 40 to 50 now. Okay. Uh, during the old school bubble, it boomed and then came back down. Mm, okay. So it looks like LP low is forty four ninety nine right now on TCG. Yeah, but you know LED is also banned. So this is where you start to look into some of the more fringe, like traditional tier two, maybe strategies in regular EDH, like Squirrelcraft stuff like that that you may not necessarily have a way to interact with. You know, for example, Flash and uh, Hulk, Hulk are not banned. No. So I, there is another opportunity to like, well, we saw a little bit of a boom for CEDH, but this seems like the type of format that might actually be able to have legs yes. at a competitive level. Like Tiny Leaders, the fact that it was restricted as much as it was, and it got solved pretty quickly mm-hmm. because of the restrictions. Yes. Here... I honestly think that there are deck building strategies and archetypes opened up because of the rule set. Because you have your, you know, signature spell, mm-hmm. because you have your planeswalker, uh, you know, those are the types of opportunities that you can really get in at. And like to me, I'm not really excited about this format as a player because it sounds like some filthy casual stuff. Yes. But from an economic perspective, it's insane. I mean I Oh, oh, Casuals yeah. drive the market. They're the reason that Commander Soul Rings are $5 now. And this is a huge opportunity for people to get in on in cards like Flash, Hulk, uh, Earthcraft, even Enlightened, which is yep. already on the upswing. We can see a little bit more movement on those types of cards now yeah. because this is another opportunity. Not to mention Demonic Tutor isn't banned. And um, there's a card that until it was printed in Uma, was around 40 bucks. was where it was getting to. Yep. Uh, Vampiric 
is not banned either. Yeah. So. And, and we've already seen Vampiric take off recently. Uh, so this is this is an opportunity similar to, you know, middle school that you can get in on. And this is by merit of the type of format it is, because it is a Highlander format. It is one designed for you to play kitchen table yeah. and just hang out. There's a lot more opportunity here than there necessarily was in middle school. Mm -hmm. I hate saying that, but it's true. Yeah. And the nice part is you're playing 60-card decks instead of 99, so you don't have to worry about filling out those extra 39 slots with additional lands and some uh, fluff spells that might not actually kill. They just get you to where you're trying to go. You can actually you know, distill your deck down into doing exactly what it needs to do every single time. When I heard about this format, my first question was, well, can you play Flipwalkers as your generals? And I haven't been able to find enough information about that yet. And then my next question was, well, if I just play Jace Vince Prodigy, why don't I play High Tide as my signature spell? Because it's banned. That answers that question. So you can't just, you know, JVP storm out like you could in CEDH. But that, to me, kind of signified what this format was about. Was taking a format that people already enjoyed somewhere between EDH and CEDH and distilling the games down to be somewhere, I think they said they want them to be about a half an hour to an hour at most, so you can just yeah. kind of churn through and, and play a bunch of games and have fun so you're not mired in four-hour EDH games like some people get into or, you know, games that only last four or five turns. Yeah. But there are a lot of strategies that it seems like people haven't explored. Uh, there's uh, a list up on... Uh, goldfish for freeform user submitted decks but the thing is in this uh section that you can find it's all just um oathbreaker decks and yep. uh, i believe deck box allows you to set up two commanders so you can put a spell in there there's no uh checks and balances on that so uh no tapped out sorry tapped out allows you to do that yeah tapped out lets you yeah so so the these decks are then you can take a look at them and they all look just kind of casual and uh low end like this format's just waiting to be pushed a little bit you know somebody builds that uh the red white uh, aggress equipment based deck with stoneforge mystic and you know a, a bunch of tutor effects for your equipment and you just have the game locked by turn five or six that, that's it you know that's going to force people to react and build things differently we look at squirrel's nest squirrel's nest and earthcraft and you can play as you mentioned any green white a johnny or any uh, other green uh, i guess a johnny's really the only green white walker right yeah and then you have access to warly tutor and enlightened tutor and any other number of ways to go find creatures green suns and at the green finality uh etc and you can just combo out quickly somewhere around turn three or turn four uh if you natural draw it probably uh four with mox diamond you know, yeah and, and and just take off and this also allows some other interesting cards to just kind of move that hadn't before, like Tesseret Agent of Bolas is a, a commander that's, or a card that's just kind of stagnant and stuck in the 99, but as a general, yeah. you might actually see a lot more play, because you can just make a deck that actually wins pretty quickly, you know, Impulse for Artifacts is always good, and it doesn't take that long to actually just blow out with his ult, or the 6 CMC Tez that we just got. You know, you artifact yeah. ramp him out, and you just start plussing and kill your opponents because I believe his plus one hits everybody. It's not just yep. it is right? each opponent plus two. Yeah, so just take people out. Like if you were waiting for a bump on that card, you, this format could could be it. Yeah. Uh, my only question is, what happens and where is the support? The way I found out actually about tiny leaders wasn't 
through a subreddit, wasn't through uh, players up here or anybody in my sphere of influence on social media. It was actually at Grand Prix uh, Omaha right before Treasure Cruise was banned, where the 9-0 deck was red, uh, red-green scape shifts with 4x chalice in the main. There was somebody yep. walking around with a handmade sign, and not like he was holding it up, but it was like oak tag paper on a stick looking for people to play tiny leaders and he put a bunch of pods together that was the first time i'd ever heard about that format it took maybe three or four days for for this format to kind of hit uh a a reddit sub that wasn't the dedicated oathbreaker ones for my sphere of influence to just blow up about this and so it's definitely taking off and it's moving and the opportunity is there as long as you know what to look for and where to look for People are talking about this in finance subs. They're talking about it in the in the regular subs, Magic TCG, and they're they're brewing in there and on the dedicated Oathbreaker sub. And if you stay on top of this, there is room to capitalize, and there's definitely gains to be had. You know, we haven't really taken enough time ourselves to dive into the format and say, okay, this is where we want to be in terms of moving in on a card and picking things up because Modern Horizons is just around the corner, and that's where we would rather focus our money. But if you don't want to be spending, you know, somewhere between ten and thirty dollars a card on Modern Horizon specs, you know, in a force of negation, then this might be the format for you to look at. Oh, you shake your head, but you know that card's going to be like fifteen dollars long run. Yeah, sure. I just people that are like thirty dollars, I gotta have it. Stop it. Stop it. No, Sorry, that's silly. continue. No, that's fine. This is just one of those formats where you're going to have to put in a lot of work, and you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah, you know, uh, for your honor, and we're going to be here for you, and we'll we'll tweet out stuff, and we'll we'll have stuff in the cast, obviously, as we see things, you know, movers and shakers dedicated to this format. But it's not something we are looking at immediately in regards to just financial gain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like to say about EDH formats is they're basically like house rules for Monopoly. Everybody has their own house rules. They show them to their friends, and sometimes those house rules leak out and just become a new format. And yep. that's kind of what Oathbreaker is. But I think this is the one that sticks. Yeah, for sure. Compared to the rest. Like, have you given uh, any thought or any looking into some of the decks that have been floating around? Like we were talking about the Narset deck uh, earlier. It's not Narset yeah. Cannon, it's just a Narset deck. Yeah, I uh, I actually really like It's funny you mentioned the um, Tezzeret 6-mana Tez. Uh, there's a couple lists that I, I've seen in the last couple days when I've been looking around that I think... You know, like you said, they seem incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And even if they're just really raw, uh, and actually I believe on MTG Goldfish, it's one of the first ones, um, it's really raw. But you can see that it's a Tezzeret Paradoxical. That's what it is. Okay. The yeah, engine's yeah. insane. There's a lot of potential there. We all know how good Paradoxical Outcome is in Vintage. Yes. In EDH, in every format. And, you know, looking at stuff like... Temple Bell, Bolus's Citadel, Propaganda. These cards that are on there that have always hovered in the like three to five dollar range, that if this takes off could easily be pushed into the ten to fifteen dollar range. Yeah. Just because of this format if it grows legs. I mean, I know there's already a store in St. Louis that's doing Oathbreaker weeklies. And you know, this this format just hit the big time. You know, you go to their website and you find out it started in March. I, I heard about it first at Madison because Weird Cards was there. Oh, really? And they were over, like, browsing the bulk bins, 
and just chatting them up. They were like, yeah, this is the format we're doing. And like, they're super enthused about it. And they've got a great following up in yeah. Minnesota already for it. Okay. And I don't think you'll see stuff like duels. I don't think you'll see stuff like fetches take off after this. No. But you're like... EDH staples that are still sub $5 I don't think will be sub 10 Okay. if this gets as big as it has the potential to. Yeah. Or even cards like Word of Invention, you know, that are already kind of pushed up by Modern or some other format. You know, it they could eventually see the $5 to $10 mark. Yeah, absolutely. Just because that's how it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked a good question a couple weeks ago because if you've been paying attention to MTG stocks, Wayfarer's Bobble has been sitting on the top of the gainers list, and they asked if this was actually this format was the reason for that. And while this format isn't quite the reason for that, Wayfarer's Bobble hasn't really seen a reprint, and it's probably one of the most efficient ways to just go fish a basic land out of your deck if you're not playing green immediately. Yeah. But this format isn't helping things in regards to suppressing price. Uh, anything like. Uh, Bobble, uh, Commander Staples, like you mentioned, like Chromatic Lantern's back on uh, on its way back up. Cyclonic Rift is on its way uh, back up. It every couple of weeks just sets a it breaks the glass ceiling in front of it. Like, yeah, I don't know it's, that card is insane, and it's these kinds of staples that now that they have uh, dual formats, and especially one starting out as a casual format, which means people are going to be a little more apt to enter it because their decks don't cost them an arm and a leg to build, or they already yeah. have a bunch of cards that just need a handful more. You're gonna, you are going to see a, a bump in that. That's a very good, a very good point to make. And yeah, you can kind of try and figure that out through EDH rec. I don't remember how to do it, but you can definitely look at like the top most played cards overall in the format. It's not very hard to find uh, on rec, and that's probably a good starting place to to, to look. And uh, you can cross reference what people have, been, the color schemes people are posting to goldfish and to uh tapped out for what they're playing here and see what edh rack is saying for those colors for regular commander and try and you know make your moves there like i'm sure debtors now which I've, uh has been coming back uh, in regards yep. to the price is probably going to go back up because that card is just insane and an orzov decks like kind of a mandatory card if you're playing yeah. uh ghost ad and now with kaya at the helm i don't know why you wouldn't or soren yeah silly not to but uh you know, for, for me, I, I think that's really everything that I've been able to figure out in the past, you know, week or so that actually, like, without getting my hands on the format and spending a lot of time reading through a ton of deck lists and reading through reports, just because, you know, we've been busy and there's still not a whole lot of information out right now. It's just posting decks and questions like, is the format solved? Or, like, what do you suggest I play? It, like, yeah, things haven't solidified yet. There's no true resource um, for this stuff yet, like I said. You, there's no category on goldfish for this. You just have to basically do a Google search for uh, Oathbreaker, and it will be one of the, the the result sets that come back. But like nowhere on the page or the URL params does it mention Oathbreaker. It's yeah, lists are still kind of flying under the radar. Yeah, and I mean a lot of the you know stuff for the subreddit is literally like you know we touched on. It's there's a lot of posts that are hey Narset Windfall is a thing. Yep. Everybody we know, we get it, and that's that's making it even more difficult to find this information. And that's, you know, something I've run into with middle school. Uh, everyone that came out to the tournament, which was great, thanks for everyone for putting up with me shilling so much. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of places to get deck lists besides user submitted decks on MTG Goldfish, and it's hard to find. Yeah, like 
you just search Oathbreaker. Well, Oathbreaker's a card. So you'll also get a bunch of decks that have Oathbreaker in them. Yes. And, you know, it, it's difficult to kind of find reliable information, but the, it is there. There is opportunity there. And I definitely encourage everyone, you know, take a look at your LGS, see who's out there, see who's playing. Just talk to them about the format, what they think, because that's that's where the opportunity really is. Yeah. And that's getting getting your hands on it and getting into the nitty gritty is where you're going to make real money on it. As always, that's what we suggest. You know, take your time. If there's a format you're interested in as a player, the resources are there. As a financier, the resources are there. They're just a little harder to find and, and distill down. But it is definitely yeah. going to be uh, worth your while. So, uh, the the Twitter stuff you wanted to touch on. Yeah. So, if any of you follow us on Twitter, of course you saw uh, there was a back and forth this weekend, which I highly encourage everyone and. You know, I, I don't think there's much rivalry in MTG Finance. By and large, we're all in this game together. Yeah. So Sigmund posted an article on Quiet Speculation about the Flusterstorm controversy, which all started, and I'm going to read this tweet to everyone. So there was a tweet that was sent out that said, I truly love Paper Magic. It's by far my favorite way to play the game. But sometimes I wish that only MTG Arena existed because I'm so tired of everything. Hashtag MTG Finance. So there was a lot of back and forth. And there was a lot of name-calling on both sides and a bunch of stuff about how awful MTG Finance is. You know, I, I think I speak for everyone in the MTG Finance sphere. I think I speak for Cartel Aristocrats, for Brainstorm Brewery, for Fast Finance, Chilcot, Billings, everyone. We are not out to get you. We are not trying to rip you off. We are trying to help everyone by putting this information out there. I understand, you know, it's, you get mad. You don't want cards to be expensive. You want them to be accessible. And I highly encourage everyone to check out this article Sigmund posted because he actually used some language from the original patent that Richard Garfield filed where he says, the cards themselves have varying monetary values depending on the popularity of the individual depicted thereon and the availability of each card, some being more common than others. Such cards are typically sold through retail game stores and other specialty outlets. This has been a component of the game since it started. We're not bad guys. Like I said, we want to help everyone. We want everyone to make money doing this. That's why we put the information out there. That's why we have Twitter. That's why we have Patreon. That's why we put these videos on YouTube so you can just see our picks and it's fine. And, you know, if you want to be mad at someone, be mad at me. I'm an incorrigible asshole. Language warning. Accurate. Uh, but uh, by and large, we're good guys. That's all I'm, I'm going to say on it. I'll rest it there. We can roll it out with picks now. Yeah. Uh, so for this week, uh, I'm going to go with Oracle of Moldea. It's a, a card I think we talked about very early on uh, in regards to uh, overpriced cards that would see a bump uh, eventually and probably wouldn't necessitate being a pick. But if you don't follow what's going on with this card, you might not have known that it basically 1.5x in the last year. So it was sitting pretty at about 20, and now it's somewhere in the mid-30s. Right? Yep. So... We have not seen a reprint on this card, but 
we went back to Zendikar. We thought we would get it there with the pseudo landfall theme because, you know, this was on the original Zendikar plane, despite the fact that it doesn't have landfall. It is uh, an easy ramp target for almost any set. However, Moldea is a plane-specific uh, location that is, you know, stuck to Zendikar. So we could see it in a core set or in an EDH product. But if we don't see it in a core set, this card's never coming back. It's yeah. never going to drop down to $20 again. And even if it does after a reprint, it's going to follow the Chromatic Lantern uh, kind of and Scape Shift kind of uh, price trajectory, which means it'll take a little while, but you'll see it go back up in time. This is a card that is uh, all over EDH. It's uh, a casual all-star. Sometimes it does pop up in red-green Scape Shift lists, lists yeah. in modern if the pilot is feeling particularly frisky. And uh, it's just an all-around, uh, you know, great card uh, the one of the interesting things about this is uh, i believe and I have, i'll have to double check real quick the european price might have actually stabilized and caught back up to the uh u.s market price because for a while there was just a uh, huge arbitrage opportunity from europe to the u.s yeah. like you could buy these things at about 30 percent u.s market value and you, that means you have to bring over large quantity but the opportunity was there. Or, you know, yeah. be flying back and forth. Or have somebody that does. But, and if I'm right about this, and it has caught back up, it looks like we're sitting at about, nope, still about 50 to 60%. on. But everybody's got one or two, and I can't see shipping prices. So yeah. we're probably looking at a car that's sitting about 60 to 70% of American retail on the European market. That's not an incredibly large margin, but generally it's wider. The same thing with the Japanese market. These are cards that are going to be there. They're going to cost you nothing if you can get them from Japan. They're uh, they're like 50, they're 50 yen or 100, 100 yen bins. Because nobody in Japan plays EDH. Like, a huge arbitrage opportunity from there. Yeah. But as this card disappears over the years, it's just never coming back until we get it in a corset. And then, like I said, again, it'll just going to go back up. And it's a very safe card to have, a very safe card to hold. I, I don't think there's a way it ever just drops below where it is now in time. No. I think this is a good long-term hold. It's not going to see a, a sudden spike. You know, if you, you go back and you look at the price uh, the price line on uh, stocks, it's not quite a rope. It goes up a little bit year over year. But that's the thing. Yeah. It's a steady gainer. It's not a card that's prone to, to spike incredibly, except for... You know, that one that basically brought it from 25 to 31 overnight, you know. Yeah. That was around Dominaria. Uh, A25, actually, that's what it was. We didn't get it in a master set. Yeah. So when it, it wasn't... Because was, that was when A25 hit, and that was the next obvious reprint opportunity yep. for it. It was A25 into Dominaria in neither of those, and boop, took a $10 jump yep. right from there, and is basically uh, held uh, ever since. And the harder thing to see on markets is that uh, sorry, on stocks, is that the market and the average prices are basically one and the same. I'll yeah. bring this back up. It's because it's very, very hard to see that once they basically hit or cross and they begin, they uh, inflect, that is when we will actually see a huge price spike on some of these cards. So yeah. you can actually expect this to crest towards 40 in the next couple of weeks to months. Yeah. Assuming we don't hit Modern Horizons, which I don't think will happen based on what no, we've seen, because there are obvious cards that need reprints that we get different versions of. Yeah, but it's already so, in Modern, so we're probably not going to get that. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I doubt. You're right. We won't get it in Modern Horizons, because there's only five Modern Legal reprints. 
are not the snow basics, despite the fact yeah. they're in the set. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, and this is, I think when we did Bloom Tender, this was one of the cards that we discussed, because there were a few green cards that were up there that were like, oh, maybe this one, maybe this one. And Oracle, again, is, like you said, just an EDH all-star. I, it's every green deck in EDH wants it. Yeah. So I can't imagine, you know, looking at stocks, it just hit an all-time high on May 5th. Yeah. So if you can get it, get it. Do it. Uh, it's it's fresh off an all-time, and it's, you know, trending back that way again. It'll be good in Oathbreaker. Yeah, it will. It'll be great in Oathbreaker. Yep. Uh, my pick, and if you follow us on Twitter, we tweeted out about how Time Vault was unrestricted and old school, a couple of old school formats. Uh, so the first thing the brain trust at the Cabal went to do was figure out what ways can you use to untap Time Vault in old school. Yep. Twiddle. That's it. Right here. Twiddle. My pick this week is Beta Twiddle. Mm -hmm. So outside of the obvious abuse with Time Vault, which granted it's not infinite because there's no Voltaic Key, that's not terrible though. So for an alpha to beta common, we have LP low for alpha twiddles sitting at 35. LP low for beta twiddle is now $8. Yes. I got mine on Tuesdays when I ordered them for about $6.50 each shipped. This, this sleeve here. There's more coming. It's already gone up $2 to $8.50 now. I'm not saying it's going to explode, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it at a $10 to $15 buy list by the time Eternal Weekend hits, which just oh, yeah, had its call. date announced of October 31st through November 3rd. Now, Time Vault, everybody knows, is a ridiculous card. It's very powerful. And being able to abuse that in a tournament with the exposure that Eternal Weekend has globally is huge. If this is an any list published anywhere, it's easily a twenty-five to thirty-dollar common. Yeah. What was your price on those twiddles? About six fifty each. So yeah, plus uh, shipping. CK is already buying in credit for seven seven dollars eighty cents, six dollars cash. Yeah. So. so their their buy list is already about what I paid. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you pay attention to any articles anywhere. Card Kingdom buy list is one of the best ways to determine what the viability of a card is. Additionally, if you look at MTG stocks, this card has been its all-time peak hit on March 19th. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, hit March 19th, 2017 at $12. We almost hit $12 at the beginning of the year, and it's been going down since. So this is a very big opportunity to actually come in and do something with it. Yes. Uh, because the opportunity is there, the buy list arbitrage opportunity is there, and it's not like old school is dying anytime soon. I think we can all agree that format is here to stay. Yeah, uh, one of the interesting anywhere. things is you mentioned uh, unrestricted in uh, old school formats, and it's important to note that not only was one of them the... Swedish rule set, but it's yeah. the Atlantic the Atlantic rule set, which I had no idea existed until somebody mentioned it. I thought there was the European rule set, and what was standardized in the, U in the United States was known as the Eternal Central rule set. I yeah. did not know that there was an Atlantic specific rule set. Yep. 
So yeah. despite the fact that there are these fractured rule sets, it's the fact that people are still playing these formats or this format and growing it their own way, basically through use of the ban and restricted list. That really should tell people that this is a format that's here to stay and it is going to continue to push prices on cards. Yeah. I I think it's you know, and if if you want to ignore it, you're doing yourself a great disservice. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to just not care because like, look, you know, like you're not into finance on old school. Generally I'm not, unless I see something I think is a slam dunk. And I think this is a slam dunk. Yeah, and it marries uh, well with your call of Time Vault from several months ago. Yeah, so it does, which was great. Yeah, the, uh, the CEs are gone on that card, basically. They're out. Yeah, I think within about two to three hours of that announcement, uh, they were sold out on Card Kingdom, and Card Kingdom's price on its unlimited went up about $150, and its price on its beta went up about $250 by the end of that day. Which is an insane gain for something like that. Yeah. Man, that's a huge rift in buy price between unlimited and beta. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. Yeah, that's big. No, uh, I like Twiddle. It's if you have, if you follow old school, it's a card that always gets talked about because it's the only way to tap somebody else's ding dong or untap your time vault. That's really all it does. It, it taps down your Shivan Dragon or Sarah's Angel and unta uh, or untaps my time vault. Like. Yep. That's it. People throw that card around all the time, but it's nice to see that we might actually see dedicated play across all versions of the of uh, the formats, and to kind of see this uh, this principle in work of t finding a card that has a decent delta between the alpha and beta, and looking at a small removal of population from the market to reset price. You can look at Shatter from a couple of years ago. We moved in on that when it was eight dollars and pushed it all the way to thirty. Yeah, and that's a card that I don't think has the same amount of market share in old school as Twiddle does, and is a common across Alpha Beta Unlimited. It did not take much to move the needle on that shatter. All we had to do is basically pull a handful out of the market, relist them at you know a much higher price, and people actually rose the floor themselves once they realized that there was a larger quantity sitting above them. Yeah. Right now, the market inflection on Twiddle is showing uh, that $15 is the market, uh, $8 or $9 is the average, and that's correct. We were looking at this on TCG not too long ago, and the first bunch of listings are all between $8 and $10. Once that disappears, they're, they're $15. eBay, yeah. all the buy it nows are basically for an LP or near mint, uh, $13 with shipping. The bids are fairly low, but the condition on those Twiddles is uh, pretty poop for uh, yeah. bid-only auctions, not... Um, not buy it now. So this is yeah. a card where if you're playing old school or you just like owning alpha beta stuff and you want to get in on this, you know, do it quick. This is a, a it's going to be a long term spec but a short term pop. I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. Once it goes, it's gone and it's going to happen in the next couple of days or weeks and then you're just going to miss out. Yeah. Like absolutely. So I, 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 I like Twiddle despite the fact that it's narrow. It has very specific applications and it does what it does well. And you know, people are. As we can see, just continue to play this format, and we'll keep cards like this alive. Also, yeah. uh, being from beta in particular, it does have that collector's value tied to it. You know, I don't know, like it's weird. Alpha isn't really like the collector's thing. Uh, beta is for some reason, and people have told me it's the corners. Sometimes it has to do with the fact that like 
you'll never find every alpha card in a true near mint condition. Like you can't slap an entire alpha set at nine plus because cards that were on the corners or, or certain uh, yeah. places on the edge of the sheet will never were never cut properly. Holy Armor is the biggest defender. That card should never, ever, ever grade a 9 or something like that for Alpha, or maybe an 8-5 plus, because it will yeah. always be off-center, just the way they cut it. Yeah. So, uh, all around, I like it. But. Yeah. Um, before we sign off, I did, again, want to thank everyone. Uh, for putting up with me shilling the NAMI tournament that we sponsored for middle school ended up raising $640 after NAMI's match for Mental Health Awareness Month. Our head judge, Eric Levine, Eric Levine yeah. the raging Levine himself, actually donated his entire pay for the event. Wow. Uh, and he said, you know what? It's a good cause. Take care of it. Yeah. So definitely appreciate everyone putting up with that, and thanks for helping us raise some good money for a good cause. Yeah, I, I love Eric as a judge. He has this odd mystique about him. Yeah. Like, even if you don't work with him, he's going to come up in conversation at an event. Always positive. Always positive. But yeah, always positive. It's just one of those one of those guys. It's just you'll never get away from the judge program. Uh, but no. Uh, you know, on the way out, guys, we still have our uh, Uma box running. Oh. You know, we're still climbing towards 100 patrons, and once we hit that, we will basically lock in and raffle it off there. And we did uh, announce our uh, secret patron. Uh, I don't even know if I want to say what it is. We did announce our patrons are a little secretive thing uh, this yeah, week, so you can expect us to announce that on... Uh, what do you say? End of month, right? The End of the month. So the episode we... In two episodes... We will announce the winner for it. All I will say is it's a dollar a month to sign up for the Patreon, uh, and that registers you for a chance to win this end-of-the-month giveaway, which should be picking up some steam after today. Yes. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to eat my hat because we don't have force of will. That's I am not eating can... a mountain goat. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> we win all around, and uh, yeah. on our... As we continue to sign out, uh, I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter and Reddit. You are at Thirsty Sizzler on Twitter and Griever9977 on Reddit. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter and uh, Patreon, and we thank you guys for listening. Yep. Thanks, guys. Catch you later.